do we keep paying meta in these different platforms? Well, you're building up their pockets and their assets and their website's credibility. When you turn that off, you have nothing left over. You don't own any of that. You're basically leasing it. So when you focus on SEO, you're building up reputation, you're building up content, and you own all the results from that. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, I have Damon Burton. He is the CEO of SEO National. It is a SEO agency that has over 50 people. They do some amazing work for big brands, for NBA teams. And we really get into the, the story and the details of how he started his career as a designer. Would make websites like, wait, how do I get traffic to it? Um, and how he worked for two insanely high growth companies that both ended not well. One ended with his boss actually going to jail. And then he started launching his own thing. And how he's kind of played the long game after reading the E-Myth and the 4-Hour Workweek, he wanted to build a company that could pay him what he wanted, but also design the lifestyle that he wanted, which I think is really good to get into as we think about growing a company, but make sure it grows to align with your career goals and your lifestyle setup. Um, we also talked about what he was doing if he was starting a, an agency today. We get into the tactics. If you're looking to invest in SEO instead of ads, why you should do that and where you should start if you're wanting to do SEO. And then he talks about his strategy for how he's acquired all of his companies with one kind of main tactic over the past 17 years, which is something I actually took notes on. So really hope you enjoy this episode with Damon. All right, today on the podcast, I have someone who I've been stalking his content for some while now. So it's time to come out of the woodwork and say what's up. Damon Burton's on today, but Damon, excited to have you here today. Jim, thanks for having me. And I'm 50-50 I'm on if I am weirded out by that comment or appreciate it as a compliment. Yeah, absolutely be weirded out. It's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, but um, but let, let's, I like to start with this question with someone like you that's been in the game for a while. How did all of this get started? Take people back to the early days of someone yeah. that is like going down this entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, so there's tons of stories, literally. So, so why don't I give you the abbreviated? background, and then we can decide where to take it from there. So when I was younger, I'm 42 now, but when I was early 20s, I always kind of felt inside that I would eventually do something, but I didn't know what. And, and so what I mean is, you know, be independent, do my own thing in some capacity. And I mentioned that first because I think it's important for entrepreneurs, especially newer entrepreneurs, is I gave myself the freedom to not know the answer. And that was such a weight off my shoulders. And I think a lot of early entrepreneurs, probably even more than ever, just because social media is such a highlight reel, that you just see everybody and see all these things. And it's like entrepreneurs are everywhere and everybody's making money. And so it, it, it magnifies that weight. And I just gave myself freedom to not carry that in the beginning. And that also allowed me to go, okay, what do I like and don't like? And, and so I kind of call that dating the phases, right? And so it's like you can date phases and everything, obviously in relationships, but I mean that in careers, whether it's a nine to five or it's you're exploring the entrepreneurial journey, figure out from each kind of scenario you're in what you like and don't like and take that what you don't like and avoid it in the next scenario and what you do like and apply it to the next one. 
So I kind of had that mindset walking into entrepreneurship, worked just kind of regular jobs for a while. And then the last two jobs that I had before I started my agency. So I've had my agency for 17 years now. The first of these two guys was, they were both super successful, but the first one was really toxic. He made one to $2 million a month and I was his only full-time employee. And then he had a part-time secretary and I made like 12 bucks an hour. And yeah. <laughs> the, the pay wasn't that, I mentioned that pay not because it was like an issue of, of mine at the time. I didn't know my worth and that felt reasonable and things like that. But it just shows on the other side how he looked at relationships. And then that guy went on to, you know, destroy his marriage, cheat on his wife, do drugs, like all these things. And so I could see that unfolding. And that's where I say it was toxic. And so I moved to this other gentleman. This other gentleman had found out that I quit the first guy, knew what I had done and provided for that guy as far as services and, and said, I, I need that type of service. Kind of headhunted me, brought me on. Total opposite guy. Married his high school sweetheart. He was like baseball, the captain of the baseball team. She was head cheerleader, like all these storybook things. But what had happened is he had, before the business I worked for, he had had a, a civil suit and got into some trouble there, but didn't have a criminal suit. And, I, and over the years between when that civil suit ended and then he started this new business, the criminal suit caught up. And then what had happened is he was 32, I think, and got sentenced to 29 and a half years in federal prison. Oh, my. So here's where it starts to come full circle into your question of my entrepreneurial journey was when I, when that business got shut down, I mean, it was like, I worked remotely, I worked at home and um, I couldn't get a hold of anybody. And then I found out I couldn't get a hold of anybody because ATF, FTC, sheriffs came kicking in the doors, guns drawn, everything. Oh my gosh. And so I had a choice at that moment and it was see if I got my paycheck and wait it out and see how that drama unfolded, go find another job or take a bet on myself. And I had enough side clients that I did the math and I went, okay, well, crap, I'm going to lose 60-ish percent of my income, but I'm going to free up 80% of my time. So I, what it, where the other 40% of the income was side clients and things like that. And my wife and I, she had a job. We only had a mortgage and a car payment, relatively simple bills, no kids yet knowing that kids would be on the horizon. And at that point, I said, this is probably as calculated of a risk of an opportunity I'll ever get. So that's when I made the jump into entrepreneurship. Now, there's lots of things I skipped over of how I started the skill set, how I got into SEO and things like that. But I think there's a lot of important stories in there as far as, you know, how to weigh your options, how to pay attention to you know, I've learned more from what other people did wrong than by necessarily having a mentor to see what people did right. But that, but that's how I literally got into starting the agency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a forcing function when your boss gets taken to jail because like, OK, I definitely have to look for another job or I could do my own thing. And you start to build up this skill set. You already have a side hustle, so you're able to de-risk making that leap. Because I'm always can like when people just start something and they like don't have clients or a path to revenue. I'm always like, why? Like, how do you do that? Like you, like for me, I was someone you I de-risked it before I started mm -hmm. started the agency. And it's funny, I also had a similar path where you were part of companies that were maybe doing some amazing things, but what brought them down was something so toxic and. I'm amazed when people start something right out of school. Like I had to have that learning curve of seeing it done either the good way or the wrong way. And I think that's that's super formative. 
But I, I do want to get to the point you brought up is it, it's two gigs where the second one, you're almost poached because of your skill set and you're able to get side clients because of what you do. Can you kind of go into the details of how you found something, which I'm assuming is SEO, and how you were able to become not good, but great at it? And what seems like an accelerated time frame? because I think as people are looking at emerging technologies or trends to jump on, how did you go all in on that to do it really well? So my background was originally web design. And so that was my catalyst into SEO is I had, uh, for the two gentlemen, I had worked on landing page designs. And, and so I picked up design through that. And then I worked in kind of very niche markets of, of affiliate offers. But through that, you learn traditional design. You learn call to action. You learn user experience, things like that. And general web design has much more demand than very niche kind of affiliate stuff. And so I started doing traditional design on the side. And it's, it's the story that we, the majority of us start. I was like the friends, cousins, neighbors, somebody, somebody that did web design. And, and so when I, I can actually go back a little bit before that, my very, what really got me into design was when I was in college, th this was before, you know, Dreamweaver, WordPress, Shopify, all these things. And you had to learn HTML and build websites by hand. And in this college communications class, they, they said, hey, the end of the semester project will be to build a functioning HTML site on the school server. And I got thinking, if I'm going to spend this whole semester and dedicate all that amount of time knowing they're just going to trash it at the end, I went to the professor and I said, can I build it and keep it and build it on a domain? And he said, yeah, as long as we can see it and critique it. So I started a car enthusiast website called Elite Rides. Uh, there's nothing there now. I just archived it. But I was big into cars. And when I started this car enthusiast website, it was like all the things like Turbo Honda Civics and wheels and the cars you're, you're into when you're in your early 20s. Well, what nobody knew was a movie called Fast and Furious came out later that year. And so that brought a lot of visibility to a website and a forum that I had already created before that. And, and so as that grew in popularity, I said, how do I make this design better? And that's when I took it to better understand the, the intentionality and the thought processes behind design. And then as that grew, I said, how do I monetize this? And that's when I started to explore and dabble in understanding marketing. Now, where that transitioned into a career was, so that's how it got me into design. But then when it transitioned into SEO is after I had enough design clients or, or a handful, and then we had that pivot where the other businesses got shut down. One of my clients who is still a client today, 17 years later, still a client says, what do you know about Google? And I said, I know enough that I can probably help you, but not enough that I feel morally okay with charging you for it but i also don't <laughs> want to work for free yeah and so i i was like how do i how do i do this because i want to pursue this i want to get paid but i also know my skill set's not enough that i can put a price on it and so i worked out a deal and i said how about this if we hit page one for this phrase in this amount of time frame not only do you owe me retroactively but then we start a monthly retainer Mm. So that was the answer to incentivizing me to not work for free, but also de-risk them putting the putting a bet on me. And so we ended up making that goal, hitting those benchmarks, and I enjoyed the process. And so then I took it to a second client who's also with me that the first that they knew the first client. So I said, "We just did this with these guys. I want to offer this, a similar arrangement to you. Are you interested?" And so there was no risk for them either. 
didn't work and they paid nothing or it worked and we both succeeded. So they accepted, we hit the goals. And then at that point, I said, I enjoy this process. I don't want to be an agency that offers it all. Mm-hmm. So let's make SEO my thing. And then we explored SEO and, and I've stuck with it ever since. That's very cool. And I like how like you being good at design and kind of tinkering and playing around and then you go down this path. Okay, I can make a cool site. Wait, how do I drive traffic? Like, how do I monetize? It just opens up these doors of opportunities that you're able to keep following because it's so easy to be like, oh, here's the path I want to go down. But if you just kind of follow your curiosity and these these doors will mm-hmm. emerge, that, that that's super exciting. So you make this leap. You've, you've got this agency or one that's becoming an agency. I don't know if it was like me where I was like a glorified freelancer and I called myself an agency. And then eventually yeah. I was like, oh, wait, it, it's real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> It's like, oh, yes, let me go talk to my team. And it's like your virtual assistant over in uh, Macedonia. I don't even go that far. You just set up a, you just set up an auto attendant that has 57 extensions. And they all go to you. <laughs> What's two, for, two for accounting, three for design, four for Damon, five for Damon, six for Damon. <laughs> yeah, all, all, all the dirty secrets of the early days. Like, t- talk about making that decision to make the leap. And what are the, the phases of growth you've kind of gone through mm-hmm. as an agency? Or even like, as we tee that up, can you give any color for people listening on like the size and scale of the company, whether it's people or clients or anything, just so they, they really understand? Yeah, I got uh, 50 plus team members. We do a few, few million a year. I've worked with thousands of uh, businesses over the years, anywhere. On the uh, on the mom and pop side, like I said, we still got a bunch of clients that have been with us from year one for 17 years. And then on the other side, billion dollar international commercial real estate companies. We've worked with the Utah Jazz on their retail division. So, so all sorts of, of big businesses and cool businesses and everything in between. As far as the phases, I think this is a great question because kind of like we touched on at the beginning where social media glorifies things and everybody wants to get to a bazillion dollars tomorrow. I took a totally different path. I, for very similar reasons, such as I mentioned earlier, I didn't want to put that weight on me. And so I was never in a hurry to grow. Obviously, growth and more revenue and things are attractive, but I didn't want to do it at the expense of my sanity. And so when I started, it was those, the term phases I mentioned earlier. And so year one, it was just cool to be self-employed. It was cool to spend time with my wife or get off early or whatever, right? Just be a solopreneur. And then about a year, year and a half into it, I went, holy crap, I should probably do something with this. This is, this is a legitimate opportunity I have. So it's not like I was squandering it. I just wasn't maximizing it. And, and at that point, then I hired somewhere between two and four team members. Did that for probably two or three years. And then I remember it was around year four when I was listening to two books around the same time. One was E-Myth Revisited and the other was Four Hour Workweek. So if you're not familiar with those books, E-Myth Revisited tells you how to build a business dependent on processes and not individual team member skill sets. And then 4-Hour Workweek tells you how to compress time. If you listen to those, I'd recommend E-Myth first because as you're building processes, and if you're listening to 4-Hour Workweek first and it tells you compress time, you don't know what corners you're cutting until you first documented your processes listening to something like E-Myth. So after that, I went you know, why don't I have more people doing these things? Why, why am I not delegating more? So then I went from four members to 18 members, something like that. And then over time, we incrementally added people as needed. So we got from eight to 15 over the next two years. And then when COVID hit, 
we blew up. We went from 15 to 50, like within a year. Wow. Yeah. And, and so since then, we've just been adding incrementally and then further improving processors. And, and so now it's, we've got it down to where we can maintain quality control at scale. You know, if, if we double business, we don't need a double team count. And, and so we continue to refine um, efficiencies. That's awesome. And I think some other things that you've thought through is like, everybody wants that overnight success. But like when you're playing the long game, knowing it's like what you want to do for your career, you have an unfair advantage because you, you can make more strategic moves where you don't need that instant hit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really nice. And the fact that you have focus and being best in class and black belt at SEO, as opposed to being like, oh, we're this full service agency that does everything. I'm sure there's other things that you do, but it's really owning your your category and being a leader there, right? Which is kind of mm-hmm. propped you up. Can you speak to, because the question I think people are thinking, they're like, okay, that sounds awesome. But like, how did he get all this business? Is it on the back of referrals? Because you're talking about you start with a client that's you're like, I don't know if I should charge you for this. And now it's like you have NBA teams that are working with you. It's like there's a delta there on like how you were able to <laughs> not get to two different types of clients. And like, like for me, yeah. it's like I started, it's like I did free work and then referrals. And then we're trying to level up with like paid and content marketing and like testing uh-huh. cold email, even though I hate it and it kind of works. What what are things at those phases that that worked for for finding new people? I uh, I've done the same thing the whole time. I've never spent a dollar on ads. I've never done outbound lead generation. Only just now, seventeen years into it, are we considering it? So the the growth has been for everything but the last two to three years has been entirely referrals, and it's largely because of what you said, becoming the person in your in your your industry. And so when people refer to me, it's not that people go, hey, look at Damon, he is an SEO option. The dialogue is he is the SEO. There aren't other contenders in the conversation. And I don't say that because that's my opinion. It's how the conversation and dialogue unfolds is people just go, there's only one guy I trust and it's Damon. And you're right, there are other things we do, but for the most part, it's only design and SEO because there's a lot of design that comes with the territory of SEO, but we don't do paid ads and we don't do social media. And even though we do a lot of design for brand integrity, I don't talk about it. I only mention SEO. And so where that progression is from mom and pops to NBA teams is as you deliver for one person and you do what you say and oftentimes over deliver, you establish a relationship and trust. And then when you are consistent about that deliverability, then you enter these people's, you know, circles of influence and trust that they wouldn't let other people in otherwise. Or like a great example is I get people that ask me all the time, do you know, do you know somebody that does X, Y, and Z service? And my reply is generally, I do, but nobody that I would put my name behind. And so even though I verbalize it, other people think the same thing. They just might not say it. Mm -hmm. And so when you get past that threshold, then people will gladly give out your name. And so then you get one referral, which turns into two, two to four, four to 16, and on and on and on. So it was just a progression of referrals. And for a long time, I could take and connect the dots from probably 80% of my clients and go backwards from one to another and one to another. And even the NBA team example is three clients in one. And before I tell you the story, the, the other important thing is, is giving value. So that first client where I negotiated a benchmark was like, here's the deal. I don't feel comfortable charging you, but how about this arrangement? That was giving value first. 
And if you follow me online, I always give without a call to action because I just want to build up that credibility. And, and I want inbound leads. I want mm-hmm. people to go, Damon's the expert. I value time more than money. I'm just going to pay him. I don't want to chase people. Mm-hmm. So this, the NBA example was somebody that followed me on LinkedIn, answered a question, didn't expect anything re- in return, just helped them. Then they go, hey, thank you. By the way, I'd like to, you to introduce, I, I just got this new position at this technology company. Why don't you come in? They coincidentally were local. So I went in, gave a presentation, got that deal. He appreciated the transparency where it was like, not only here are the pros of SEO, but here are the cons. Like here's the full spectrum of what you need to consider. Yeah. So they, they signed in between the presentation when they finally signed, he says, let me introduce you to my neighbor. My neighbor is an entrepreneur. He's a, he's a VP at X, Y, and Z. Go talk to him. So I talked to that gentleman. And then he was asking about a law firm that he just took a marketing gig at. So similar thing, talk to him, value first, sign the agency. And then he says, by the way, I just started this marketing gig as I'm exiting the vice president of retail sales at the Utah Jazz retail division. My, one of my exiting uh, responsibilities is to place marketing roles. Would you like to you know, come in here and give a bit on that? So what all started from a value-added post on LinkedIn ended up turning into three clients within two or three weeks. And, and it's largely been that over and over and over. Yeah. And it's one of those things like people want the silver bullet. It's like, tell me like the hack, but it's like, and people might be like, oh, I add value, but you know, nothing came from it. I feel like this stuff snowballs and it compounds where it's like, yes, you're just kind of doing some stuff. It might not work, but if you play the long game, it's like it could come back tenfold. And I, I love that mentality with your content, like no call to action, just, just add value. That, that's very cool. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent? but you have issues finding good people. Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part. It costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose. You, you mentioned something around like you value time more than money. And you mentioned the four-hour work week with, with this idea of lifestyle design. And in some of your posts, you talk about the balance of, you know, running a 50-person agency while also like being able to make it to like a kid's school event or something. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about like that intentional decision? Because you could like try and like light this thing on fire, put gasoline on it and like take it to the moon verse. No, like I know what I need and want with my life and like the company should work for me as opposed to the other way around. Like, was that like a thoughtful process you've made? And how do you keep that perspective as you kind of grow this and manage it? 
Yeah, that's a that's a big part of my life. And it, it started from my childhood. So grew up lower middle class, alcoholic stepdad. You know, we all got some version of that, like some toxicity in our in our childhood. And, and so that that either makes or breaks you. And for me, it made me. I was able to look at that and go, okay, don't do those things. And in seeing that, it was like, well, okay, one thing I don't want in my future version of Damon as an adult is I don't want financial instability. So then that means I want financial stability. That doesn't mean I want to be rich. That means I just don't want problems. And yeah. so that, that was an early focus. And then it's like, okay, how do you create, you know, how do you foster a, a warm environment in a family? And so, okay, you know, time and things and memories and legacy. And so I, I got exposed to that. Again, like we talked about mentorship, I learned more from what other people did wrong. So then I got exposed to that same concept in personal life. Like, okay, here's the things that I want by witnessing what I don't want. And so that's where the seed came from. But then I remember when my, so my wife and I, we've been together for 20 years and, and coming up on our 17 year wedding anniversary. And when, before we had kids, I remember having a dialogue with myself going something along the lines of grind it out now so I don't have to later. And the premise of that was do the ridiculous 20 hours a day, seven days a week, all the things I wouldn't support and condone now. But it's like, do it while you can, when there's less risk it, or, or do it intentionally, right? Like, don't just burn yourself out with no direct intention. And mine was, okay, burn myself out so I don't have to later. Mm-hmm. And so it was very planned. And then, okay, Damon, well, that's great. How do I apply that to my life? You know, is there anything more tactical? Well, nowadays, I very black and white about it. So it's like my calendar, I book out the times for my wife and family first. And, and so I'll elaborate on that because I don't book times like, oh, I can only hang out with my wife and kids during this time. I book times that nobody else can interrupt my times. Yeah. So for example, it's like, I don't work after five. Our auto attendance shut off at five. You can't even get a hold of me by then. I don't give clients my cell phone number. Our contract states that email is the preferred form of communication and we don't check it after hours. We don't check it on the weekends. And so I set those expectations with clients in advance. Um, when it's during school, school months, um, I block off 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. So then I can walk my kids to school. Um, I also block off 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. So I can be there when they get home. And, you know, I work from home, but there's a big difference between dad being home and downstairs in the office and not being seen at three and dad being upstairs at the kitchen counter when they walk in or walking to school and walking home with them. So I make sure I'm present. And, you know, maybe one example is even just this morning. Uh, my kids play competition soccer and there's um, a tournament that they're in and I found it's their team is the host of it. And so guaranteed every year, there's at least this one tournament that their team hosts. So now I block that. I just added it this morning where it's like the first week or two of August, but we don't know which days. So for every year moving forward, there's a two week block that nobody can get on my calendar proactively, and then I'll go adjust it when I actually do find out the dates. But that way, nobody can interrupt the potential of that time. Yeah. No, that's very cool because it, it makes so much sense. Like, it's not about having this to-do list of things. It's it's calendar it out and it will happen and everything can work around it. But I love the the tactics of that. As, as you have this, like, fast-growing agency or, you know, 50 people, 
where is your time going? What hats are you wearing? Like, for example, for me, it's like, I was just like a chicken with the head cut off for too long, trying to wear every hat and just dropping balls. And then mm-hmm. eventually, like, I, I've been able to fire my, myself from things, but I'm still sales. I'm business development. I have not uh, given that up. I'm, I'm involved on, on a few clients and wanted to be in that strategic capacity, but but it's hard. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I like, am I truly the CEO? It's like, there's times where I'm the CEO and there's times where I'm like, I'm a sales rep, you know? And so like, what what are the different hats you, you're wearing right now? And like, where do you want to get to? So this will vary for everybody. And like in your example where you're doing sales, like I do a lot of sales too, but it's because I enjoy it. And so that's where I open myself up to be available. So most of my time is spent on sales and relationships and marketing. I do little to no of the fulfillment unless it's like a nuanced specific thing that's been escalated. That's like a one-off where I really saved myself from doing the day-to-day was documenting our processes. So we we had, pro- this is probably eight or nine years ago, where I really sat down and it took probably two or three hours a day every other day for a year. It took a long time and it sucked. I'm not saying it's amazing. I'm not saying it's enjoyable, but it's worth it. And so what I did is we had some processes on a spreadsheet and some in a file and some in my head. We had processes, but they weren't consolidated. And so I sat down and consolidated the processes into a task management system. And when I was doing that, I told myself, I don't want to half-ass this just to mentally check this off and say I did it, but then have to come back and actually improve it. So I really dedicated myself to making it as dummy-proof as possible. So when you as a business leader or an entrepreneur, if you hire the right people, they won't screw up on purpose, but they will screw up accidentally. And the reason why they screw up is, is as good or as bad as the documentation you provide them. So it's like the path of least resistance with, you know, like the water kind of analogy. Your team members are going to follow the documentation. But if you didn't document something because you have a greater skill set and you took it for granted, your team member doesn't have that skill set and they don't know that they skipped something. So I built out our processes as if I knew nothing. If Could I just give this to anybody that the only skill set was A, they could read, B, they could follow directions. Could they accomplish the goal? And so that really saved a lot of time was building that out. Now, as far as where my day-to-day is, nowadays, is about a year ago, I hired a COO. I've been really trying to give him operational things. He's taken over 90% of it. So now it's, it's largely sales and growth. Where I'm pushing myself to be is just the evangelist of the company because that's where I enjoy. I enjoy the relationships. I enjoy educating. Just like before we hit record, we're chatting about potentially getting together and I can give a presentation. Those are the things that I enjoy. And it also brings business. So that's where I'm trying to move my time towards. Yeah, that's nice. And to be intentional there. But I agree. That's great. You got a COO. Like getting someone that's senior that can take stuff off your plate and do it at a whole nother level is is such a huge unlock for growth. I feel like that's the best growth hack is hiring amazing people. So there's some fun stuff on your website. I'm like, okay, talk to Damon. Here's some things to talk about. Like store agency, we we focus heavy on like paid acquisition. We we don't do SEO. And one thing we hear from clients is, okay, I want to do SEO, but it's a long-term game. When should I think about doing it? Can you make the case on like, okay, why do SEO now? And why people should stop pouring 50K into Meta and Google's pockets for ads and really mm-hmm. focus on SEO? Because I, the pushback I hear a lot of times like, yeah, I want to do SEO, but I'm not going to see results for 9 to 12 months. I need revenue now. 
Like, how, how do you talk through that? Like, whenever someone's looking at SEO, not against hiring you versus an SEO agency, but you versus a different marketing initiative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so I'll answer it two ways. The, the short answer and then probably the more appropriate answer. The short answer is, I, I'm fortunate these days, because of the work we put in and the reputation we built, that usually by the time somebody gets to me, they're already answered that question for themselves. Yeah. So, so I don't have to debate that too much. But there was certainly a time where I had to go through that. And there's a really clear answer. So for the agency owners that have to have this discussion with their leads and their prospects, the best way to answer that is transparently. So er earlier I was talking about the jazz example, and I talked about the transparency is what sold them. I lean into all the negatives about SEO because if, if they already know the worst, then it can only get better from there. Here's where agencies drop the ball though. The problem isn't that SEO takes a year. It's that you didn't tell them why it takes a year. And so if you can communicate, hey, I'm not locking you into a year-long contract because I want to take advantage of it. I'm locking you in because I want to protect your money. And if you only come into this for three to six months and then leave, we haven't made enough progress for you to get any return out of it. So instead, I'd rather you not even sign up. So that's the position that I take. And it's the truth of my position. And then in that transparency, they go, oh, well, Jim is somebody that wants to protect my dollar. And so now I'll lean into it more. And then the other easy thing that you can communicate is progress versus monetization. So mm-hmm. this goes back into the agencies not properly communicating why it takes a year or however long. Yes, it may take a year to monetize SEO, but it doesn't take a year to see progress. And so what you illustrate to them is, hey, look, you know, don't sign up unless you're willing to mentally commit for at least a year because it's probably going to take that long before you get your money back. But here's what I can show you before then. It's not that a year later, a switch flips and all of a sudden it's raining money, you will see the progress before. But let me explain why you don't monetize it. You don't monetize it because, you know, three months into it, we may see you go from page eight on Google to five and then five on Google to three, but nobody goes past page one. That's progress versus monetization. So I will show you moving closer to page one, just the traffic isn't on page two. So if you can communicate that, that people go, oh, okay, so I can see progress. And I can see things moving forward. And I can see that you are doing something with my investment. Then that usually satisfies that question. I just took some notes there. I'll, some advice for myself, but that, that's really good advice. So someone sold on SEO. They're getting started. And we can even go to a vivid example. It could be like a lead generation company that sells HVAC locally in Utah or Seattle. Or you could go the path of an e-commerce company that makes like, you know, athleisure stuff for CrossFitters. How should someone think about approaching SEO? It's like, okay, it's all about your site map and technical SEO, or it's like, hey, we need to make an SEO-driven content strategy, not to just like generalize ideas, but what are some things people should take away when thinking about strategies and tactics and then aligns with like, what do you all offer? Where do you really plant your flag as far as the, the stuff that you do? So we take the position of all or nothing. So you're right. You started touching on some of the fundamentals. There's a lot that goes into it, but all those fundamentals uh, boil down to three categories of fulfillment. So one category is how good or bad is your website built? The structure, is it mobile-friendly, user-friendly? Does it load quickly? Second is content. So you can only rank for what Google can read. So do you clearly communicate your value propositions or why your product is better than the competition? And then third is external credibility. So do other websites mention you? Do they link to you? Is there some sort of external references? Each of those counts as a vote in the search engine popularity contest. So most of your visibility is going to come from the latter two, the content credibility. But 
that will only be effective if you have a solid built foundation for all of that to bounce off of. So where we start is the foundation. So like when we launch an account, I have two different departments on my team start. And so on one side, it's the debt, the development, the design team, they go through and go, okay, can we leverage the existing site? How can we make it load quicker? Better call to action, more user-friendly. While that technical audit is going on, then the research and the content team starts. So I have a department that just does research that then alley-oops over to the content team. I don't want the content team spending a bunch of time going, what am I writing about and why and what's the intention? So the research team digs into the market and goes, what are the buyer's pain points? What problems can we solve? How do we get in front of existing queries instead of just guessing? They map that out, then they hand it over to the content team. Then the content team goes, oh, I have a blueprint. So now I know what to write about and why. Generally, by the time the technical audits are done and the research is done, that, that corresponds to about the same, same time frame within a week or two. And so that way we can hit the ground running. Now we got a solid foundation. Now we can double down on content. Now I wanted to come back to one, one comment you made just before that about the, the example of you know, 50,000 in paid ads versus SEO. If, if you're doing paid ads, social media, email, whatever form of marketing other than SEO and it's working, keep doing it, right? It's not a zero-sum game where you have to pick and choose between these different ones. But the reason why you want to consider layering in SEO, there's a couple of reasons. One is there's a, a great study by an entity called Conductor. Conductor did a survey or some sort of data analysis on the types of traffic from that source to website. And so they simplified it down to email, PBC, social, and organic search. And what was fascinating was for how successful people can be on paid ads and search, if I remember the statistics right, it was as a whole, and it may vary by industry, social media only drives 2% of traffic from social to site. Paid ads only drives 6% of traffic from source to site. And organic drives 64 so if you're doing awesome on those other, look at how big of a piece of the pie that's being left. And then maybe the last comment on this is you, you had the right point where it's like, you know, do we keep paying meta in these different platforms? Well, you're building up their pockets and their assets and their website's credibility. When you turn that off, you have nothing left over. You don't own any of that. You're basically leasing it. So when you focus on SEO, you're building up reputation, you're building up content, and you own all the results from that. And then the bonus to that is social doesn't influence SEO, but SEO can influence social and paid ads because quality score on page speed, quality score on content relevance, those are all things that you improve through SEO, which then often decrease your cost per acquisition on the other platforms. That's really well laid out. And I totally agree. That's the thing. You stop paying the piper with Google and Facebook, you turn that off, your traffic turns off. Whereas with organic, it really starts to compound. I was a part of one startup that grew on the back of SEO. And once you see it, you can't unsee it as far as like that being the right approach. And you're totally right because I look at our clients that are doing exciting things and their Google analytics all back up that ratio you're saying of traffic from organic versus social versus mm -hmm. referral or wherever else. <laughs> so um, one more question on the agency. You mentioned before you used to price based on performance. How has that shifted? Like uh, we've tried pricing a bazillion ways under the sun where we, we do quite a bit of fixed retainers. We have some variable structures as well. And then we've done a little bit of performance based. It can just get so muddy on who's tracking 
the data and whatnot. I don't know for you, like where your struggles have been in nailing the, the pricing. So I've only done it for those two clients and never again. So I, I very early knew that was not the answer. And kudos to those that make it the answer. But you nailed the reason why I don't. It, it's, it can be too diluted. And my, my bigger problem, you pointed out, you know, the, the data gets diluted. It's hard to track. It's hard to guarantee, you know, whose piece of the pie, how much of the pie you get. My bigger problem is there's too many other people that can mess up my work. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've been offered countless arrangements of rev share over the years and across the board, it's a no. And I just <laughs> made an exception this year. And guess what happened? It didn't work out. And so, so I made an exception for somebody that I trust and I still trust. And, but when legal counsel got involved, it just diluted the value of the amount of effort. We were taking on the entire risk. It mm-hmm. was, hey, you do nothing. We're going to put in all the time. We're going to put in all the money. And, and if it works, give us a percent. And then, you know, legal wanted to devalue the percent. And, and it just made no sense to me. Mm-hmm. And so I've, other than those two, I, I don't do performance and I actually do fixed rate. So that rate has evolved over the years, though. When I first started the agency, I was more of the budget provider because I've always been honest with myself. Okay, what level of fulfillment can I deliver? Mm-hmm. And so in the beginning, I was probably underpriced, but it's where I felt like I could sleep at night comfortably. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, yeah, th- this is probably where I need to be at um, minus a little bit just because I'm an idiot. <laughs> yes. yeah. And when I first started, I mean, this was 17 years ago, it was like 300 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. And then I moved towards from 300 to 750. And that was scary. It's so funny how pricing scares you in the beginning. Oh, totally. I was terrified to go from 750 to what? Thousand. Like that is such a <laughs> huge number. And then I went from a thousand to 1500, 1500 to 2000. And then by then I started to be like, no, I'm good at what I do. And, and I took the opposite. It's like, this is non-negotiable. Like mm-hmm. I deliver a value and even the value I deliver at this price point is probably underappreciated. Mm-hmm. And, and so now we're, our average price point is probably 3500 to 5000 a month. But even then, I realistically, I could probably go higher. But then there starts to be a gray area of the type of people you want to work for and work mm-hmm. with versus who sees it. And, and I'd rather take the client that I like to work for at 3500 than to scare them away at 4500 So you eventually want to get to a place where you're fortunate enough to kind of decide who you work with. Yeah. And it is fun, like whenever you're giving them something where you're you're making good money, but you know the value to them like far exceeds what they're paying. And that's probably why you have really good long-term retention, right? Is is mm-hmm. that value exchange is, is is everything. Yeah, my first pricing, I did like a full like 40 page marketing plan for like $250. I remember like calculating the like hourly work on it. I was like, that was definitely like below minimum wage. I could have gone to Chipotle and made a lot more money. One question that I, I, I like to ask everybody is, what is the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career? I don't know that I could answer a specific thing, but I could give a specific type of thing. So what I mean is, like a specific experience is, I like the wild card in things. And, and that's why I often you know do all these presentations and interviews and this and that for free is because you, you never know what ends up coming out of it. So over the years, I got a 
one of those like rubber sports kind of bracelet things. And it said WWDBD. And it was from a client and it stands for what would Damon Burton do? And, and she wears it when she gets stuck on a decision that she doesn't know the answer. And, she, and so she goes, I basically try and go, what would Damon do? And, and then that's the answer. So then what happened after that is I made a post about it and shared the story. Then I had somebody on LinkedIn, his, his, I actually remember his first name, I can't remember his last name, but I, I got a screenshot out. His name was Ben. And Ben asked if we could get on Zoom and I could help him out with a question. So I gave him a couple minutes of my time. And then afterwards, he wrote this kind post about me giving him value and not pitching him and just helping him out. And, and in the post, he drew a cartoon of me. And so then I had somebody after that take the WWDBD and married it with the cartoon and sent me a bunch of pins. And so now I got these little pins with my cartoon face and WWDVD and my kids start to see these things. And so my 12 year old has one of the pins on his lamp. I've been, so, so now my face has become a thing. And I've had, I've had somebody send me air fresheners with my face. We have this blanket that is just a bunch of my faces that somebody went and pulled images off social media. And it's like this family heirloom. My kids fight over it. And then the most recent thing is, is I got sent a bobblehead. Oh my, that's a good bobblehead too. It's like Superman style. That's cool. So it's, it's the wild kind of things because like I'd never buy a blanket with my face on it. I'd never buy a bobblehead. But then <laughs> the story behind it though, you know, when you dig into it, it means a lot. That, that's super cool. It kind of goes back to what you're saying before too, as far as like, value first, give value, don't ask for things in return and good things will happen. That, that's very cool, man. Well, sweet. Well, where else? If people want to learn more about you or what you're up to, if they want to follow you, where, where can we point them? Just hit damonburton.com. On there has everything. It's got my personal journey stuff. It's got business stuff. And then if you want to jump into the world of SEO, I have a free download of my SEO book on there as well. Yeah, awesome. Well, Damon, this was so fun, man. I really appreciate the time. It was, it was good to chat. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Appreciate the offer. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, Growthit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out growthhit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where Remotely Talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A-plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. 
it's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment, and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, Give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.